Have you ever wondered why it's difficult to give your attention, energy, and take action on what matters the most to you? Or to speak up with clarity from the best part of yourself? If that's you, then you're in the right place. The follow-through formula is dedicated to providing daily inspiration for you to follow through on the real you. Welcome to the third episode of the Follow Through Formula Podcast. This is Rick Lewis. Uh, my third time actually podcasting. Episode three, uh, made it through the first two. I almost didn't make it to this one. I have committed to 21 of these, which uh, has now really got my attention. It, it felt inspiring in the moment. Uh, I, I said that I... I uh, committed to that in the middle of uh, episode two, the last one I did. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this for 21 days in a row and be an example of what it looks like to follow through and uh, almost didn't make it today. And I'll tell you why, because why not share that with you? Um, it's in the evening. I had, a, I had a lot going on today, things I'm trying to do to prep for this commitment also to launch this course uh, on November 1st for the follow through formula course. And uh, so I got a lot to do there. And I thought, well, I'll just I'll do my uh, podcast session after dinner. And here it is after dinner, but dinner didn't go as planned. And uh, where did I hear this recently? Someone I, you know, I should attribute this quote properly, but I can't remember who said it. But the quote was, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And uh, that is true for me in this case. So my plan was after a nice dinner with the family to just roll right into my podcast. And, um, you know, family dinners in my house um, aren't always the smoothest part of the day uh, when you have kids. That's kind of the way it goes unless you know don't send me messages saying we always have wonderful dinners at my home with my kids uh if you're in that if you're in that category keep it to yourself because that's not the category i'm in so um by the end of dinner i was not feeling inspired uh, i guess what i wasn't feeling was that i'm a good example of the kind of person who should go talk to people to motivate them and inspire them. And that's really interesting because it's uh, that that would be good to talk about for another episode, actually, imposter syndrome, when you've committed to something and it requires you to follow through at regular intervals. And when you do that, it's very likely that one of those regular intervals are going to fall or land in a time when you're not feeling you're up to the task. You're not feeling qualified for the task. That's more to the point. So tonight after dinner and the way I was responding to the challenges of dinner, I was not feeling qualified. So I came downstairs here and I'm like, okay, what am I, what have I got to say about follow through? And all I have to say today is that I'm here I'm following through, and the only thing I can bring 
is my authenticity. What's really going on in the background of the conversation for me? Because if I walk into episode three, trying to pretend that I'm some kind of got it all together person who has no trouble following through and I've got all this, you know, all these wisdom bombs to lay on you, um, that's just not going to fly under the circumstances. So you're getting the real deal. This is me uh, on this day following through with where I'm at. What I did promise you I would share in this episode was the story of the very first time that I street performed. And I did mention it was a little bit of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell the story anyway, uh, because also, as I mentioned yesterday, it does have a good ending. When I was in my mid-twenties, I was actually uh, living in an intentional community of uh, artists and spiritual seekers at that time. And um, I was living outside of the town, the city of Portland, Oregon. And I used to drive into town. It was about an hour drive into town. And I I used to drive into town every now and then uh, just to be in the, the atmosphere of the city. And there's a center point in downtown Portland where there's kind of a a square that's in the middle of in middle in the middle of downtown and I believe it's called Pioneer Square. I sometimes get this mixed up, but I believe it's called Pioneer Square. And Pioneer Square is this really neat little plaza area where it's like kind of a, a brick or paver covered uh, common area. And around three sides of this common area, there are stone steps leading up away from the common area. And frequently there are exhibits and uh, festivals and performances that are staged here. And it's kind of a natural three-quarter round amphitheater sort of arrangement. And at this time, I had been, uh, I had worked already as a clown uh, after my at the end of high school, my early college years, I had done clowning, musical theater. I was really into circus skills, so I taught myself how to juggle and unicycle and, and do magic. And so living in this community was around the time that um, it was time for me to actually leave this community and I was trying to decide where I was going to go next and what I was going to do. And I had put to the side my love of performing during this in this period of kind of intentional uh, spiritual seeking. And so as I'm getting ready to depart, I started thinking, well, I want to go back to these roots of my love for performing. And at that time, there was a, a performing couple. They had their own TV show at this time, and I'm really going to date myself, but the couple was called Shields and Yarnell, and these were two performance pantomime artists who did, they were very, very highly talented physical uh, comedians and athletes, frankly. And I used to watch their show and um, very impressed by them. 
And then I had heard that they came from this background of street performing, I think on Pier 49, which is a famous spot or was a famous spot for street performing in San Francisco. And um, I looked up some information about them and some stories. And I think I might have even seen some uh, video footage of uh, one of them per doing the street performing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I would love to do that. It just there was something about the dynamic of seeing someone go out in public unrehearsed, unannounced, unplanned, set up in the middle of a pedestrian area and begin presenting and performing in such a way that a crowd would gather around them and to uh, present a, a narrative of skits or entertaining scenes and build that crowd to the extent that by the end there's this big crowd surrounding this performer who then puts out his hat and asks for donations and that just seemed like absolute pure magic to me I thought wow that would be so cool to be able to just go go work anytime you want gather a crowd from scratch have people love what you do and then pay you afterwards what they felt your offering was worth. So I decided this is my goal, is I want to go street perform. So back at the community, I start working <clears throat> on my very first street performance. So I spent months um, building up a repertoire of uh mime skits and magic and some juggling routines some acrobatics I was able to do at that time and I, I was very very uh, diligent and dedicated to creating this really engaging street show and my idea was to perform it in Pioneer Square so the deal with Pioneer Square is that during the week at lunchtime when uh, the weather's nice is people empty out of the office buildings and they're taking a break for lunch and a lot of a lot of the workers in that area would come sit on the steps and that's where they would just hang out over their lunch break and so what i decided is i would go on a nice day in the middle of the week and i would go perform my show right at that time when the steps were full of people so I planned out my whole routine, and at that time, the type of performing character that I was working with was a character called Pockets the Clown, and I actually had this very colorful uh, costume with uh, a vest that, uh, no surprise, had pockets all in it. It was filled with little magic tricks and my, my juggling balls. And uh, I would perform in full white face. So I got all made up, fully in white face, put on my Pockets the Clown character costume, and I went, after these months of practicing, I went to Pioneer Square, I parked my car, I got out of the car, and I walked up to the square area, which is surrounded by some trees as well on the, the boulevards, and I got close to the, the square and I saw that indeed the steps were full of people 
There were maybe 200, 250 people sitting on these tiered steps that surrounded the plaza area. And I froze. I was so nervous and so scared of just walking out in the middle of these people and starting my show that I had never done in public before. I had done lots of theater up to that point, and, uh, but never a public show like this. And so um, I stood behind the tree, knees trembling, sweating and nervous, and um, was having difficulty getting out there. And I was maybe behind that tree for 45 minutes. I would take a little step toward the center and then I would come back. I would take another breath. My, I could, my diaphragm was sort of quivering and <laughs> I really, really didn't want to go out and do this thing. But I knew that if I didn't follow through with what I planned to do, the ramifications of that were going to be a kind of shrinking that it would be even more difficult to come back from in future. And since another part of me really had a vision about this and really wanted to do it, I just thought, okay, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to follow through. Just doesn't matter how nervous you are, um, how much you're dreading this. You just got to go do it. So I step out from behind the tree. I've got a little uh, bag of props and I've got a boom box in my other hand and in full white face in this colorful costume I strutted out into the middle of the plaza I put my prop bag down and the boom box down and I started my music my biggest fear about performing in public was that I would forget the order of the routines that I had planned, that I'd get too nervous and I'd freeze and I wouldn't know what to do. But I practiced a lot. I ran through the whole, the whole retinue of my routines many times over. And so when I set the prop bag down and started the music, I went right into the first routine. And so it was a, a combination of these pantomime mime skits and juggling and acrobatics magic tricks. I started into it. And as soon as I got moving, as soon as my body was in motion and I wasn't stuck in my head anymore, that helped a lot. It just loosened me up. And it also freed up my mind because I was focused on completing the, the, the physical skills. And one thing just led to another there was no problem moving from one thing to the next and there I wasn't having any hitches or any trouble you know flowing uh, right through the whole sequence of what I had planned and it was feeling really good so I'm in the middle of this unfolding thing and watching thinking wow isn't that fascinating I almost didn't get out here to do this but now that I'm out and actually in motion, this feels great. So I'm going from, from routine to routine and super enjoying the flow of it and the, the, the getting over of all of this dread and getting in motion and showing myself, you know, you actually can do this. It, was, it, it felt really like a, a total victory. And it wasn't until I was about 10 or 12 minutes 
into my routine that I realized I was so in, I was so much enjoying what I was doing and so self-involved with it. I hadn't even looked up and checked in with the audience at all during that time. So I look up expecting, I I don't know what I was expecting, but definitely I was expecting there to be some kind of um, resonance between what I was feeling internally and what, what kind of effect that would be creating outside. And I looked up and what I saw was that not a single person of the 250 people that were gathered on those steps had stopped doing whatever they were doing before I got there to give me even the slightest bit of attention. There were people eating their lunch, chatting with each other. There was a woman knitting. There were people reading books. Um, Somebody else was, you know, maybe journaling. (laughs) So I have all these people that I came to entertain. I started up my thing, which was going great. And, And when I looked up, I hadn't even moved a single one of them to acknowledge what I was doing want to watch or pay any attention to me. I'm standing there in that moment and physiologically what swept up my body from my toes to the top of my head was shame. I felt totally ashamed that I had stepped out and had the hubris to say, I'm going to entertain you, look at me, and to have absolutely nobody respond just made me feel smaller than smaller than small and huge at the same time. I felt like I was about uh, 20 feet tall in the middle of that space. I was so exposed. I was so revealed and unveiled in my shame. My heart was pounding in my chest. My cheeks were burning bright red. And I stood there, then reached down quickly to grab my prop bag and my boom box because the the thought that I had at that point was, I'm getting out of here. And so I picked these two items up And I was getting ready to leave. And then a thought occurred to me. And the thought that occurred to me was, this is as bad as it can get. It can't get any worse than this. And in the face of that, and realizing this is as bad as it could get, I kind of checked in again. I was like, well, nobody's bothering me. I'm not, you know, (laughs) no one's throwing their lunch at me, actually. So they're ignoring me. Here I am. I want to go because I feel ashamed. But what's stopping me from completing what I came here to do? And the answer, of course, was nothing. So I put down my prop bag and I put down the music box and I started the music again. 
and I went right back to where I was in my performance and I actually finished the whole performance still to absolutely no response, no attention from anyone in the audience, but in re-entering the flow of the performance actually got back into that place where I was enjoying what I was doing. And to discover the reference point for being able to do something that I enjoy, that yes, I would like others to enjoy, but it's not essential to my enjoyment of this activity. To get that reference point and to finish that performance changed something inside of me. And when I was done, I turned off the music. I picked up now my prop case and the music box, again, having fully finished, and I took a big, deep bow in front of these, uh, in front of this crowd, and I left the plaza. And that experience of follow-through, despite the the dread at the beginning and then the intense shame that I felt in the middle when it didn't get the response I was hoping for to prove to myself that I could live through that, that I could emotionally survive not getting the approval of an audience of other people was huge. That was a huge turning point for me. And I actually went on after that. I I moved uh, a short time after that to Vancouver, B.C. And in Vancouver, B.C., there's a place called Granville Island Public Market, which in the uh, mid-80s and uh, through the the early mid-90s was a hotspot for street performing. And I actually turned out to be one of the sort of the founding members of Granville Island becoming a sort of street performing mecca. And I, uh, I continued to street perform there and eventually was making a very good living just from street shows and the donations I would get in my hat. And that period of time for me of going out every day and just setting up and offering something to people that they would then pay me for afterwards in cash was one of the most wonderful, wonderful times of my whole life. It was really ecstatic for me to be able to work and live that way, doing something I love to do so much and learn how to bring a lot of joy to people through it. But it didn't start that way. It, it took time to not suck at that particular job. So in terms of follow through, it's so important to remember that the only thing we control is our efforts. And it's our efforts over time that make a difference. And it's our efforts when we follow through that bring us learning and capacities that we just can't predict ahead of time. We don't know what we're going to get when we follow through. But when we commit to following through, what we know is that we open a doorway 
And on the other side of that doorway, there are different gifts that are given at different times, but the door doesn't open without the commitment, without the follow through, especially when we're following through in a challenging circumstance, when we're up against something inside of us, which is saying, you can't do this. You're not capable or you're not qualified or you're not in the right mood or I don't feel like it. When we follow through under those circumstances, we become a person who can make a commitment who can speak their word and be able to follow through on it. And that's a very, very significant uh, point of transformation, even when we do that a little bit. And if we do it over and over, we're gradually transforming something having to do with our integrity, meaning how integrated all the different parts of us are that often behave in a warring fashion with each other. I think one thing in this moment, and then a few hours later, I think something else. And then when my behavior flip-flops back and forth between different warring characters or personalities inside of me, I don't develop this thing called integrity, which is the ability to be present and make a commitment, and regardless of what inner character gets provoked inside of me, I still follow through. And that person who follows through becomes the person who starts to be a, uh, the, the voice of inner mastery, where there's one character who can make a commitment and follow through with it. So that was a very significant experience for me. And it was a it was a, a touchstone point for many, many circumstances that have come up in my life and still do today, where uh, just like this evening, where uh, one part of me was saying, you know, let's just skip it. Had I not made the commitment to do a podcast every day, I wouldn't be here right now. I would not have followed through. And yet here I am. And I've shared a story with you, which hopefully is, is useful in some way. And we have now completed episode three. Uh, my question to you is, what did you do between yesterday and today? Did you did a part of you say, okay, yeah, I'm up for this challenge. I'm going to take one small action on behalf of something that's important to me that I've been excusing myself from accountability for, or I've, I've not been doing anything with. Did you take some small action? And if you did, fantastic. If you didn't, how come? What stopped you from taking that small action? If a part of you said, I'm going to do it, and then you didn't. So the same question, I leave you with the same challenge for today as I will for the rest of these uh, 19 or 20 or however many days we have left now um, to take one small action a day based on your goal. And just think if everyone who's listening to this podcast, and I know, well, this is episode three, so... I haven't, I'm purposefully not going and looking 
at iTunes. I mean, I'm sure there are thousands of followers by now. I'm sure there are thousands of you listening to this podcast and have subscribed to this amazing new podcast that's just hit the scene. Um, you know, don't send me an email or <laughs> to tell me <laughs> I'm completely deluded. Um, <clears throat> I know, I know that's not how things roll around here with uh, iTunes. So whoever is listening to this, thank you for listening. And I leave you with the challenge and I'll be back again tomorrow with whatever shows up. And that's it for episode three. Game on with whatever work it is that you have to do. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for being here and being a die-hard listener down to the last decibel. My vision for these conversations is that you get informed and inspired to take consistent action on the real you. If these podcasts help you to do that, I'm thrilled. And if you'd like to take that work to the next level, I invite you to join me inside the Life Leap community, where I'm creating a culture and a support network for those who want to pursue what matters most in their lives. To learn more, just go to gamesforconfidence.com and click on the Life Leap menu item. I'd love to see you on the inside, and otherwise, I'm sure we'll meet again in another episode.